On this episode of the Resetter Podcast, I bring you Dr. Dale Bredesen. Now, I hope you are familiar with Dr. Bredesen's work because he is a pioneer not only in brain health research, but specifically in dementia and Alzheimer's. And a large reason why I wanted to bring him to you all is that we now have more evidence than ever before that Alzheimer's and dementia is optional. And you're going to hear him talk about this, that there are actually seven different lifestyle tools we can look at, behaviors, health habits we can look at that will change the game in the direction of your brain health and whether you get Alzheimer's or you don't. So on this episode, I wanted him to walk through what are the early warning signs? How can we know? Because I, if I know, I, you'll hear in the episode, I know as I've gone through my menopausal journey, there have been moments where I'm wondering if I am losing some ability to hold on to memory. And then the minute I clean up my lifestyle, all of a sudden that memory comes back. And you'll hear him talk a little bit about that. So I wanted him to go through early warning signs. I wanted him to go through the seven steps. You'll hear one of them is metabolic flexibility. So those of you that are fasting, it's really interesting what he has to say about the power of ketones on the brain. And then I wanted him to talk about some new emerging things like psychedelics. What do we know about psilocybin? What do we know about uh, ketamine? Some of these emerging techniques or therapies that are being revisited. So this was such a beautiful conversation. We went through everything from nutrition to detox to, to sleep to exercise and then landed on psychedelics. It was a beautiful conversation and I'm so excited to share it with you. As always, if you love this, please leave a review, share it out into the world, and we all can work together to make Alzheimer's and dementia optional when you follow the steps that Dr. Bredesen lays out for us here. Enjoy. Hey, Dr. Mindy here, and welcome to season four of the Resetter Podcast. Please know that this podcast is all about empowering you to believe in yourself again. If you have a passion for learning, if you're looking to be in control of your health and take your power back, this is the podcast for you. Enjoy. Hey, Resetters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the Academy. And I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My Academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. 
By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled. And let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy. Excited to see you there. Here's where I want to start this conversation. And by the way, welcome to my podcast. This is, we've <laughs> so had great some great guests. Yeah, your, your, your knowledge, your passion for helping women prevent Alzheimer's is so needed. So I'm really excited to bring you to my, off, my audience. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, there is so much we can do. Um, I'd love to talk at some point about, we have a patient recently, uh, a woman who's in her early 70s, who's just had just these dramatic improvements, which we can see on MRI and on her testing. And every time people get better, we've had, you know, thousands now. Uh, it's just so great to see it that it never gets old. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Well, let's let's start this part of the conversation, because I think a lot of the women in their 40s and 50s were starting to think about it, Alzheimer's and dementia yes. now. Yes. Uh, what are the early warning signs? Because I think we dismiss memory loss and inability to hold on to information as an aging thing. But yes. are there are there things we can go, wait a second, this is a big red flag. You're going to want to do something about this. Yeah, I think it's important to kind of string together a couple of important facts. So the first thing is, as I said earlier, the, you know, this is now Alzheimer's is optional. People should not be getting this. It should be a rare disease if we would all get on active prevention at the age of 40. Or if you're over 40, please get on active prevention. Or if you've got symptoms, on earliest treatment. And here's why. If you actually look at the changes, for example, on a PET scan, you can begin to see PET scan changes even in some people in their late 20s and 30s. Oh, wow. So when I was training in neurology, we thought of Alzheimer's as a disease of our 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, but it's really starting 20 years before a diagnosis. So it's really a disease of your mid to late 30s, 40s, and 50s that just gets diagnosed 20 years later. That's the first wow. thing to understand. The second thing to understand is you go through four stages, and especially in the first two stages, it's really easy if you know what to do. So the first stage you go through is a pre-symptomatic stage. You don't know you have problems. And this is typically occurring, as I said, you know, in the 30s, 40s, where you don't know that you have problems. But if you were to do spinal fluid or if you were to do mm. a PET scan, you'd already begin to see changes in many people. And just for numbers... This dwarfs the pandemic. We've had over a million people who have died from the COVID-19 pandemic. 
about 45 million of the currently living Americans will die of Alzheimer's if we all don't get on active prevention or early treatment. Wow. So that's the imp important thing to know. The second stage is subjective cognitive impairment. You know there's something wrong, but you're still able to test in the normal range. And this is just what you were talking about, where your mm -hmm. doctor's saying to you, well, this is just normal aging. I hear this all the time and it just yeah. kills me to hear it because when someone knows that something's changed, we should listen to them. What they're telling you is that yes. something has happened. And I had a, a great example a few months ago where a physician himself was saying something's wrong. His wife, who's also a physician, said, yes, something's wrong. They took him to a neurologist. I mean, this guy actually had already gone into stage four, which is the, which is actual dementia. And the doctor said, this is just, you're getting a little older. This is normal for your age. Oh my gosh, that was just wow. completely wrong. And actually this guy turned out to have normal pressure hydrocephalus. Um, so the, you just cannot miss these things. So it's important to listen to people when they tell you something's not right with their memory, with phone numbers, with uh, getting lost, with just not feeling comfortable, with not being as responsive, with not being as quick. These are all the common things. And the way to break this down is you think about about two thirds of people that are having cognitive decline. It starts with an amnestic problem. So in other words, you're having memory problems. And the most common one is, mm -hmm. yes, you can, you may remember the name of your first grade teacher. So long term memories stay for a long time, but the new ones are having trouble. So they'll say, you know, uh, yeah, I don't remember what I had for breakfast or I don't remember. We, uh, patient zero, the very first person that we started with who did beautifully and, by the way, is still doing well and is now a brain health mm -hmm. coach, uh, came to see me in April wow. of 2012. And she had gotten on a plane and she got to the other end and she doesn't, she didn't remember what she had gotten into the plane for. She actually got on the plane and went home. She didn't know what she wow. was there to do. So uh, now some people will say, some neurologists will say, for example, uh, if you don't remember where your car was parked, you're okay. But if you don't remember that you came in a car, you're in trouble. But well, yeah, but that's a later stage when you don't remember that you came in a car. If you don't, if you start to, you know, if you normally remember where you parked your car and now you're not remembering where you parked your car, that is a concern. Things that have changed. If you were typically good for your life at remembering phone numbers and now you're not remembering phone numbers, that is a problem. And mm -hmm. so again, you have the interesting thing, this SCI, subjective cognitive impairment, lasts about 10 years. So we have a wonderful area, a window of opportunity to help so many people. Oh, yeah. And yet yeah. those people, the people who are in that SCI phase, virtually 100% of them we can make better. You look at what's causing it. You look at the appropriate blood test, which is why I recommend everyone please get a cognoscopy. Check these things because what happens is what ultimately becomes Alzheimer's and starts often as brain fog or starts as things aren't quite right, something's not quite right. Really, in the lab, we can boil it down to two major players. This is a network insufficiency of your brain. You're not able to support that 500 trillion synapse network that you were supporting for the last 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. And it boils down to two big things. 
One is the innate immune system. So it's mm -hmm. ongoing inflammation, which are a drag. It's a little bit like, you know, you can't run as well anymore because you're wearing lead slippers. You know, it's just, it's, you're, 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 you're slowed down. So the inflammation is huge and it can be from leaky gut, poor oral mm -hmm. microbiome, herpes mm -hmm. simplex on your lip. Um, it can be from a poor diet. It can just on and on and on. It can be from tick-borne illnesses, exposure to mycotoxins. So all wow. these different things that are creating this ongoing drag by activating your innate system. So you've got to figure out what those are. You've got to address them. And that's what we do. Then the second piece, which is equally important, is energetics. So you have, again, you use a lot of energy to keep that synaptic network going. You know how you feel when you haven't slept in a few days. Oh, yeah. And you remember, I remember from when I was an intern, you go a few nights without sleep and you're just, the energy is gone. You're toast. You yeah. need that energy. And that is cerebral blood flow. And that, of course, vascular disease, one of the risk factors for Alzheimer's. Second thing, it is oxygenation. SpO2, your saturation mm. of oxygenation, which is why people who have sleep apnea are at such an increased risk. It is a huge issue. So just another case I just dealt with over the weekend. Um, the woman had done well. She was actually one of the ones who wrote her wonderful story in the book, The First Survivors of Alzheimer's. Uh, this was Sally. She did a great job. She's now in her seventh year doing really, really well. She's APOE4 positive. She has the genetic predisposition doing very well. And then she started noticing over the last six months or so, kind of taking a backward step. Something is not right. So, okay, we got to go back and look what's been missed. Do you have new exposures? And, and one of the things was she did have some new water intrusion into the house. So, okay, we're dealing with that. Do you mm -hmm. have an activation of your innate immune system? So I said, you know, you, you really haven't checked to see sleep apnea. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not snoring. I'm not set up for sleep apnea. It's more common in men. That's fair. Okay. It's more common in short, thick necked men. Okay. That's fair. And men who snore. Okay. But when she did then, I encouraged her, please get it checked out. She had severe sleep apnea, undiagnosed. So she wasn't getting oxygen when she sleeps. Exactly. So her oxygenation is going down. And not only is the oxygenation going down, the, of course, your adrenaline is pushing to get yeah. you, oh my God, to wake up, you know, something's wrong here. And yeah. so, okay, now we'll see how she does. She's ending up now starting on some CPAP. We'll see how she does. But the key is you've got to look at the energetics for your brain. And that, as I said, blood flow, it's oxygenation, it's mitochondrial function. If mm. your mitochondria are not doing well, you're not doing well. And some beautiful work, please check out the paper and it's, I believe it's freely available online. Beautiful work from Professor Rick Johnson, uh, who published this just a couple months ago. He's from University of Colorado and, and I'm actually a co-author on this and so is David Perlmutter and several others. And what Rick found over the years is that fructose has a very interesting impact on your system. Now, this doesn't mean you shouldn't eat an apple. This means you shouldn't have a ton of high fructose corn syrup. Um, yes. And this goes back to our evolution. And what he discovered was, okay, if you're a primate and you're getting ready for a winter, you need to store fat and you need to turn down the energy. So even though fructose is a sugar, 
what he found is it's actually turning down your ATP by something like 15% or so. Oh, wow. So here you've got a system that's already right on the edge, and now you're pushing it down further. And what he pointed out, which I thought was brilliant, was that you just go right down the list, the things that we accept as proof of Alzheimer's, the PET scan changes, and the, and the changes in biochemistry, and the changes in specific areas of the brain. These are the same ones that fructose hits. So there is a beautiful correlation there. And I do think it's one of the reasons that so much high fructose corn syrup has hurt us over the years. And as he points yeah. out, you can get to the same place by pushing up your glucose chronically as well. And of course, it's always been known. Insulin, uh, you know, insulin resistance has been a big problem. It dramatically Huge. increases yeah. your risk for Alzheimer's disease. Metabolic syndrome, which includes insulin resistance, is one of yep. the common contributors to Alzheimer's. So yep. that's the third piece. And then the fourth one is your ketone level, because you've got to have something to, for your for your mitochondria to burn, and that's either going to be glucose or ketones. In a perfect world, you are metabolically flexible, as you know. You can go back yes. and forth. Yep. But of course, what happens for the people who are beginning to have brain fog and things like that, they've lost both because mm. they've lost, because of the insulin resistance, we can't burn glucose the way we were once able to. But because of the high insulin as part of insulin resistance, that prevents you from making ketones. So when yeah. I see people who are now having brain fog and going on to cognitive decline, that's an energetic emergency. We need to mm. get back their insulin sensitivity and we need to get back their ability to make and use ketones. So we usually just start with some exogenous ketones just to get yes. rid of that emergency yes. until they can naturally get into this metabolic flexibility. So again, you yeah. come back to this and realize nobody should be getting dementia, but 15% yep. of our population is dying of it. It's huge. Yeah. So would you say that if, if there was one first step in to preventing Alzheimer's, it's metabolic flexibility? Like, let's just start with this, this system to be able to be able to bring glucose down after you eat and switch over into a fat burning state to make ketones. Is that at the core a foundational place that everybody could start? Everybody, yeah, that's the best way to start. But you have to remember, because this is a complex network, there will be people who will respond beautifully to that and others where that's not the right limiting step. It'll be yeah. their sleep apnea or it'll be their leaky gut or it'll be their sudden loss of est uh, estradiol. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so, as you know, for women, this was a beautiful study out of the Mayo Clinic a number of years ago, for women who had undergone uh, an oophorectomy, so who may have had trauma mm. or things like that at the age of 40 or younger and didn't have HRT. And of course, we recommend BHRT, but yep. for people who didn't have HRT, they ended up doubling their risk for Alzheimer's. Even though the Alzheimer's was years later, they were already beginning those biochemical changes that led to Alzheimer's. So this yep. is, again, why I encourage everyone, get things optimized you never have to get to that point where you are now yeah. downsizing the network. Yeah, and the th interesting thing on estrogen that I've noticed is as estrogen declines, you become more insulin resistant. 
And so women start to notice it in their weight. But what I'm hearing you say is, hey, we got to pay attention to what is happening in the brain. Absolutely. And and can you talk a little bit, you know, I can tell you as a 53-year-old woman that I've had moments where I'm like, can't remember where I parked my car, can't remember why I walked into a room. And then I come back to my foundational lifestyle tools and say, am I doing this? Am I doing this? And I clean that up. So what's the difference between just age-appropriate moments like that and, hey, you're heading towards Alzheimer's? How can we tell the difference or do we need to have some kind of a bigger test to know? Yeah, so the the bottom line is yes, but here's the thing. Don't ignore that. People keep seeing, you know, the neurologists keep telling us, oh, and my my colleagues, and and it kills me. Uh, They say, well, you know, it's probably not Alzheimer's, so don't worry about it. Well, then you come back the next year and they say, oh, now it is Alzheimer's and there's nothing we can do. So don't be passive. Um, Even if it's just a little brain fog, you can fix that. And yeah, you know, you want to be functioning better. So it goes back to, you know, the old Alec Baldwin, always be closing. This is always be optimizing. So keep on optimizing. Get your, you know, make sure you're metabolically flexible. We think in this in terms of the seven basics and then the specifics for if you've got a certain infection. So the seven basics are diet, exercise, sleep, stress, brain training, detox, and some targeted supplements. Get those, get your ducks in a row there. And you would be amazed at how many people they're looking for that crystal on the forehead, that new thing that is, you know, just out there and and that's never proven. And then if you, they, what they miss is the basics, just what you're talking about. You go back to the basics. Yes, you do need some estradiol. Yes, you do need some progesterone. Yes, you do need pregnenolone. You do need appropriate thyroid. You do need appropriate insulin sensitivity. You do need to make sure that your gut is healed. You know, the the gut is involved in so many of these neurodegenerative diseases from, you know, Parkinson's to Alzheimer's, on and on, ALS, and just you name it. And so, and we don't, don't give that enough, uh, you know, enough attention. Yeah. I think one of the challenges is that there's, when you hear all the things you have to do, when yes. for women, we come screaming into our forties, we have no idea about our hormones. We have no idea what's ahead of us. And then all of a sudden we start feeling different than we have yes. years ago. And then we look at those seven things and we're like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. I've been living the wrong lifestyle. And I, and my big message is the lifestyle you lived at 35 does not serve you at 45. You've yeah. got to change and do something different when you go into those perimenopausal years. But the great news is just start with one. You know, as you said, mm. just optimize your diet. Get a, so we call it KetoFlex 12-3. It's a plant-rich, mildly ketogenic diet with appropriate periods of fasting, typically 12 to 16 hours overnight. You will have more energy. You will have yeah. better brain function. You will feel better. You will sleep better. Start there. And then you can just, you know, add something new every few months. And it will, it also mm. gives you, it gives you that feeling. It gives you positive feedback. And once you get that positive feedback, like, wow, okay, this really helped. Yeah. It really supports you. And, you know, I want to go back to it because I didn't finish answering your question. Yeah, Apologies please. for that. You said, no. what are the early signs? As I mentioned, two thirds of people, it's memory. But the mm. other one third, it's what we call a non-amnestic presentation. It's the non-memory things and it's planning. These are the people that lose their jobs the quickest. They can't plan the way they did. They can't carry out their jobs and they get fired. And this can be wow. in your 40s. Uh, we see this all the time. 
or loss of calculations. They can't figure a tip um, or mm. loss of recognizing faces or getting mm. lost with driving. These are the sorts wow. of non-amnestic things. Word finding, that's another common was like, wait a minute, my what happened to my vocabulary? You know, I just can't come up yep. with these things. And sure, yeah. you can always say, well, it's probably not Alzheimer's, but 20 years down the road, it may be. So yeah. get it while it's early and you never get to the point that you have to worry about Alzheimer's. My argument has been, I mean, I'm I'm now just turning 71, so I'm an old guy, but my generation is the last to fear Alzheimer's. Your generation, mm. our, our daughters are now in their early 30s. Their generation and your generation are the first not to have to fear this Amazing. disease. Amazing. It is now optional. Get yeah. evaluated, get on active prevention, and we can make dementia rare. That doesn't mean that nobody in the world will ever get it, but it means it will be much more rare. It is now yeah. the number one cause of death in women in the UK. It's incredibly in the common. UK. Wow, crazy. And we can crazy. do a lot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us, is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man, one of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. I will, t I will tell you, as I went through my 40s trying to balance my own menopausal symptoms, the two things that moved the needle on my brain the most were detoxing, so yep. get heavy metal detoxing, and metabolic switching, so I'm getting my more ketones to my brain. And the, the big thing that I noticed was I stopped losing my train of thought when I was talking yep. to people. Yep. There was no longer ums. I no longer like just stopped mid-sentence. It seemed like I had a more continual directed thought pattern. So just from those two, of the seven, are there ones that move the needle quicker or are they all equally as important? So it's interesting. It depends on you are if, if you're more of an inflammatory person or an energetic mm. person. And so we just had a great example of someone with posterior cortical atrophy, PCA. Uh, and mm. this is a, a patient of a health coach 
uh, uh, Carrie Mills Rutlett in New York is doing a fabulous job, really impressed with Carrie and all the things she's doing. And this person actually was improving and it turned out have to have some detox and to have some and turned out to have some infection as well. But when she started EWOT, exercise with oxygen mm. therapy, she went Very kind familiar. of from this to this. So it depends a little bit on where. Now, I see the big improvements are people when they get into ketosis, and that mm. starts with exogenous, but then switching over to endogenous. Um, and when they become, as you said, metabolically flexible. So they're now using the energy yeah. appropriately. And the other one I see is with EWOT. I see big improvements in people time and time again because the oxygenation is now getting to the furthest reaches. There was a beautiful study out of Israel about uh, two years ago where they were showing that they were they were using HBOT, the, the hyperbaric mm -hmm. oxygen. But yeah, that doesn't one. give you the, yeah, the, the, the problem with that, it's great, I like it, but it doesn't give you the exercise part of it. Right. Um, whereas the EWOT gives you both. Uh, in any case, yes, those things that help to get the oxygenation to the furthest reaches. And as we get a little older, that's an issue. So, you know, things like um, for the inflammatory side, things like um, resolvents, SPM active uh, from mm. Professor Charles Sirhan of Harvard, who discovered resolvents and worked with metagenics to, to develop yeah. these. And, and I don't work for any of those people. I have nothing to do with it. Uh, nobody pays me to say it's good. We're just always interested in the best outcomes. And yeah. so far, um, uh, this approach with these resolvents has been very helpful for people with inflammation. Of course, then you have to find out what's causing the inflammation. You right. know, is it a leaky gut? Is it a poor oral microbiome? And you have to address mm -hmm. those things. We have people where they unknown abscesses, where cone beams will find the abscesses. So the bottom line is dig until you find it. But there are some mm. basic things you can do, as you said, starting with becoming metabolically flexible. Yeah. And if you decide to go down the path of HRT or BHRT, are, do, are you immune from having to make those seven lifestyle changes? Like, does it lessen the intensity that you need to focus on your lifestyle? It improves things. So each of these, so what happens is, imagine that you have a network. It's a little bit like thinking about a country. So what happened in early uh, 2020, we all heard there was a new insult to our country. It turned out to be COVID-19. And so we were told shelter in place, socially distanced, don't go into work, you know, pull things back. And of course, the country went into a recession. That's exactly what your brain is doing. It is experiencing these different insults and drop in hormones is one of them, but it's also experiencing uh, things from your oral microbiome. The neuropathologists, have found in the brains of patients with Alzheimer's disease. Oral organisms, things like P. gingivalis, that's a big one. Candida, you know, fungi, mm. molds, yeast, yeah. things like this. Um, all sorts of bacteria. And interestingly, the amyloid that we associate with Alzheimer's disease is actually an antimicrobial. And this was first described mm. by Professor Robert Moyer and Professor Rudy Tanzi from Harvard several years ago. Um, and I think it was a wonderful find. This is showing us this amyloid is not there to give you Alzheimer's. It's there fighting these insults. And of course, other insults, losing the oxygenation because mm -hmm. of things like uh, sleep apnea or upper airway resistance syndrome and things like that. So all of these things are critical. 
So with the mouth, does it become, this is an interesting one because every time I've worked with a patient to detox them and we get to the mouth, mm-hmm. it's very complicated, especially if you've had multiple root canals, you've got silver fillings. I mean, you're talking a very expensive route to unwinding that. Are there some preventative dental hygiene tricks that we can do to keep our oral microbiome in a good yeah. place so it doesn't uh, lead to what you're talking about? Absolutely. Um, and of course, there are more and more uh, dentists who have become oral systemic specialists and who are interested in the fact that, you know, the oral microbiome is associated with atherosclerosis, is associated with cognitive decline, is associated with cancers. And they're actually finding these organisms in these various places. So there is unfortunately communication with the rest of the body. So number one, I recommend everyone get an oral DNA test. There are a couple Mm. of groups that do it now. My Periopath is one of them, but there are others as well. Check your oral DNA and see, do you have really high on some of the things like P. gingivalis and T. denticola and P. intermedia and Fusobacterium nucleatum and things like that? So that's the first thing. And then secondly, find out if you have high mercury levels, as you indicated. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as you said, if you've got root canals, these can get infected. So see an oral systemic specialist and see, and it may be that it's pretty minimal. One thing you can do is to take some oral probiotics. You know, these are now Mm. available um, and they can be very helpful. Um, And then things like dental sidin, you know, biocidin, which we recommend for people that we're treating with cognitive decline. You know, we, we published a clinical trial. It's freely available online. It's in Journal of Alzheimer's Disease uh, from last year. And you can see that in our clinical trial, uh, 84% of the people actually got better. And these were people in stage three and four, MCI and dementia stages, not just the first two. Those are easy. Um, And we're now actually starting a new trial, a randomized controlled trial at six different sites, so Hollywood, Florida, and Cleveland, Nashville, Sacramento, uh, Oakland, and San Francisco. So we're really enthusiastic about that. And there's, again, Amazing. oral uh, oral microbiome improvement is fundamental to this. And there's a lot Huge. you can do yeah. without being yeah. too expensive or too complicated. But you're right. If you have infected root canals, that's a different story. If you've got a lot of mercury in your mouth, that's a, con- that's a concern as well. The good news is what is causing our brain fog and what is causing our cognitive decline are these things are identifiable addressable and remediable. Mm. And of course, COVID-19 and long COVID Mm. and COVID-related brain fog, this is a huge issue and is going to be a problem for years to come. Yeah, talk a little bit about that because we have ACE2 receptor sites in our brain, right? So if if you had COVID, which they say all of us did, yeah. At some point, that that created a lot of brain fog. I saw that in my community in such a big way. So I, I want to make sure we highlight that because a lot of people are experiencing that. Absolutely. So what's already been published is, number one, people who had COVID are at increased risk for Alzheimer's, unfortunately. And it fits wow. perfectly with the model that you and I just talked about. Yeah, You are changing their inflammatory profile. And it's now there's all lots of interesting research going on now. Is it because you've got fragments of the virus in your gut? That's one mm. idea. Is it because there are autoimmune activation? Um, is it because you've got spike proteins still present? Um, is it because of other things? And the answer is probably some of all of the above. 
Um, there are some autoantibodies that people get. Uh, interestingly, you know, people have been taking things like uh, high dose natokinase uh, for, mm. for this. And there, I think there are improving protocols for long COVID. And so we recommend for anyone who's had COVID, and I had it myself, uh, I think despite vaccination, and I think, you know, as you said, most people have had it. Yeah. Um, then yep. please, again, get evaluated, get on active prevention, or if you've already got problems with cognition, get on active treatment. Of course, the treatment is more extensive than the prevention, no surprise. Yes. But right. if everybody would get on prevention, just a few people would then fall through the cracks and then go to the next step. Okay, now you have a more extensive evaluation, more extensive treatment. Great. And let's make it so that nobody ever gets to that late stage where you actually get dementia. And so the prevention is, just so we're clear, is the seven things you highlighted before. The prevention is, yeah, is the basics, yeah. looking at those right. things and addressing them. Find out, you know, do I have, you know, what's my HSCRP? Do I have active inflammation? How does yeah. my oral microbiome look? Do I have a leaky gut? Do I, and as you mentioned toxins, you know, I was never taught as a neurologist that toxins are a common cause of Alzheimer's, but they are one mm. of the most common causes. Mm. And it's whether you're talking about uh, the inorganics, things like air pollution and mercury, the organics, things like toluene and benzene and formaldehyde and glyphosate, mm. or unfortunately, probably the worst is the biotoxins, the trichothecenes, ocratoxin mm. A, uh, gliotoxin. These are real concerns. And unfortunately, the, if you want to trigger someone's innate immune system, well, you're going to use the beta glucans from, you know, from molds. I mean, that's like yes. a great way to trigger it. Yeah. So that's a concern. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and the toxic conversation is so vast. It's another one that's like overwhelming. Uh, do you have any, any tips when, when we're looking at our toxic environment? Like, let's just yes. take a woman's home. Are there some basic tips she should do to minimize the toxins that would affect Alzheimer's? Absolutely. And so first of all, uh, you want to get an ERMI score. You know, this is easy yeah. to do. You can do it online. Uh, or yeah. hurts me to score any of these scores that will give you a score of how bad is your home with respect to the major molds. Now there are lots of molds that don't, that are not such a problem, but the big five, you know, Stachybotrys, Aspergillus, Penicillium, Ketomium, and Wallemia, those are the big five that unfortunately produce toxins that are activating your innate immune system, yeah. damaging your brain, damaging your immune system as well, often damaging your kidneys, increasing your cancer risk. Uh, this has been a problem, again, something where we're all used to having processed food, not realizing, yes, it is killing you. We're all used to sitting there in molds and not realizing, yeah. yes, this really is killing you. So, you know, get outside more. It's easy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and another thing that's going to help us all is wearables. Um, so mm -hmm. where you can now see what is my heart rate variability? Yeah, Am I yeah. under constant stress? There you go. Yeah. How was my sleep I've, last night? Yep. Did I get into stage three, four deep, you know, slow wave sleep? Uh, so yeah. all of these things, so, so helpful. Yeah. And so go move into sleep. That was what I wanted to talk about next, because again, I look at all of this through a 53 year old woman's lens. Yes. And when I look at that, I say, okay, I know sleep is important, but I've hit a point where if I put my head on the pillow, sleep is not as easy as just closing your eyes and going to sleep. 
So menopausal women really struggle even when we're on BHRT and doing all the things. So how can we get the best night's sleep possible? And what should we be looking for in deep and REM sleep and total sleep? Yeah. And as you know, and I'm sure you've probably had Professor Matthew Walker on. Matt's a great guy who did this wonderful book, uh, Why We Sleep, uh, and talks about these various things. And so, you know, you want to get about an hour and a half of REM sleep a night and about an hour of deep, slow wave sleep per night, and a total of somewhere seven to eight hours of quality sleep per night. Most of us don't. Uh, as you and as you indicated, it is a struggle, and so yeah. there's a whole you know sleep hygiene. Is it dark? Is it quiet? Um, I'd say that you know, my, and I'm definitely uh, bad in this area. Uh, so the area of sleep hygiene, getting up to sleep. So I'm working on the emails and you know watching the latest or listening to the latest podcast or whatever, and then it's like, okay, now time for sleep. It doesn't happen that way. You know, s- it, slow down. Um, get your blue blockers on. Don't yep. be looking at excitatory light. And by the way, blue light, very bad for macular degeneration. We're now taking the uh, protocol we developed for cognitive decline and adapting that with appropriate modifications for macula- early macular degeneration. Mm. These things are bad. Yeah. Blue light, bad at night. Horrible. Uh, get yeah. your, you know, get your red light and, and start to wind down. Do some deep breathing, get your heart rate variability up so that when you kind of fall into sleep and ease into sleep, that's great. And there are all sorts of good things. You know, you might like to take a little bit of melatonin, as you indicated, appropriate BHRT, progesterone, Mm -hmm. low progesterone is associated with poor sleep. And guess what else? It's associated with poor detox. So you need that. You need that progesterone for good detox. You need it for good sleep. You need it for calming down your sympathetic nervous system, as you know. So you're absolutely right. Sleep is key. Yeah. Um. I've I now guard sleep like she's my best friend. I yeah. like I've stopped doing red eye flights anywhere. Like I just have prioritized sleep because once you get a good rhythm with it, you never want to yeah. break that. Right. And I see such an improvement in my brain the next day. But yeah. I also know that there's so many menopausal women that are really struggling to have a good night's sleep. Yeah. And uh, it's there's an art to it, like you said. Yeah. So Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you mentioned you're a 53-year-old woman. And I think it's very important to point out, when I was training back in the 80s as a neurologist, that we never saw people in their 50s with dementia. This was uh, an older person's disease. Yeah. Now it's one of the most common things we see. And there are publications from epidemiologists over the last few years that have shown the increase in dementia in young people, and that's 40s and 50s, has just dramatically increased. It's not yet clear why. Some of this may have to do with changes in diet. Some of it may have to do with leaky gut. Some of it may have to do with toxin exposure. Some of it may have to do with menopausal changes. We don't know. But the bottom line is, 40s and 50s is a very tough area now as far as cognition. And so a common one I see when I pick up a you know a chart and look through the, all the different things, and it's a 52-year-old woman yep. who is having especially a non-amnestic presentation, problems with planning, things like that. Um, this is very, very common. And so again, yeah. another reason to get on that active prevention earlier. 
So this is a huge issue. Yeah, I call it an evolutionary mismatch. I feel like we're at a moment where our female bodies are not copacetic with the modern world. And the more the modern world gets more physical, emotional, chemical stress, the more we're seeing women suffering with their hormonal health, their brain health. Like we're the ones where this is the age group that's getting it the worst because the modern world has so many interferences into our own natural healing state. That's the way that's the way I look at it. Yeah. Um, Do you feel like there's an exercise? So the other thing that I learned as I've gone through my own menopausal experiences, you know, I can't run like I used to. I take shorter runs. I gravitate more to walks and hikes. I'm looking at building muscle more. I do more yoga. Like I was a competitive athlete in my 20s, and I really Hmm. have dramatically shifted the way I work out in my 50s because of the change in my hormones. Do you think we, as women, we need to all do that? And are there certain exercises that are best for brain health? It's a great point. Uh, and if, you know, if I were to say a few things that are the best for brain health, one is EWAT. So exercise with mm. oxygen therapy, because you're getting perfusion, you're getting kind of getting a threefer because you're getting va- you know, vascular effects, you're getting oxygenation effects, and then you're also getting some muscular effects as well. So it really does, really does help in, in multiple ways. But as you pointed out, muscle training is equally important in a different way because it is giving you that insulin sensitivity. You improve that as you get some muscle. Muscle, And the fact of the matter is, yes, okay, we know from professional athletes, there are very few Tom Brady's out there. Most athletes do their best in their 20s. You can even look, you know, there are old charts on baseball averages across all baseball players. And the average, you know, just starts to go down with each year. You're, you don't have everything you did, at, you know, at 22 when you're mm-hmm. 42. Okay. Yeah. But the good news is we should all be able to get to 100 and stay sharp to 100. Right now, as I mentioned, 15% of us are dying of Alzheimer's disease. That's a huge number. It's crazy. It is crazy. crazy, And it should not be. And it's because we're not doing the very things that you're doing. So rather than saying it's a problem, you're not doing, you know, the whatever the the severity, you know, these huge things that you were doing as a as a competitive athlete. And were you a sprinter? Were you a swimmer? What were you? I was a tennis player. I ah, played uh, okay. on a tennis scholarship in college. So a lot of, you know, that's a lot of, it's a Huge sprint run. type oh, activity. Yeah, yeah. And you're, yeah. plus you're planting and changing really quickly. Yeah. And it's coordination. By the way, it's one of the things that's best for your brain because I've it's heard that. muscles, it's yeah. oxygenation, and it's strategy. You know, yeah. this idea of your thinking, and, and I was just at a wonderful exercise facility run by Ryan Glatt down in Southern California last week. And as Ryan's pointed out, it's this double, this you're exercising and you're doing uh, cerebral things that's actually really good for you. Uh, why yes. we love things like ping pong and why mm-hmm. we love things like tennis and ballroom dancing. You know, that's the mm-hmm. thing to me, you know, as I, you know, I'm now an old guy. Okay. It's fun to do. Get out and play some pickleball. Get out and play yeah. some tennis or golf, whatever. Enjoy it. Okay, I'm not going to be the sprinter that I was, you know, years and years ago. That's okay. Um, if I can keep my cognition good yes. until 100, I will have won. So that's, yes, so that's great. Agreed. And yes, agreed. Ewat. And then the second thing is, have you ever used katsu bands? So these were used oh, by some me. of the Olympic athletes. But what these are... 
These are restriction bands. Yes, you use I have. Approximately yes. arms and legs. Don't make it so tight that you have no blood flow, but you're restricting it a little. And what happens is, and by the way, very good for people who are elderly, you know, my age and older, where you are getting more bang for your buck. You don't have to do as much as you did before, and you yeah. actually get more bang for your buck. So in, that's another great way to go. Yeah, we do that. And I have a membership group of a bunch of menopausal women, and we work out together on Saturdays. And I started using those bands. And, and they're really interesting. And what I had heard is actually the metabolite that gets made from breaking down the muscle actually goes up into the brain and supports BDNF production. Have you, have you heard and that? Absolutely. And also, you, know, you are making more ketones when you do that. Mm. And the key, so it's very interesting. The ketones actually interact with histones and remove the inhibition of production of BDNF. And this was published uh, out of Cornell several years ago. Very nice study. And they're showing that this effect of ketones to increase BDNF. Very interesting. So yes, you know, again, there are so many mechanisms that all feed into optimization. We all know it kind of intuitively when we're out exercising, when we're getting good sleep, all of these things are helpful. I think it's been unfortunately, so many of us as as researchers have said, yeah, but we just want that silver bullet. We just want that pill to give to you. It's going to clear out your amyloid. Well, clearing out amyloid turns out not to be very helpful to people as we found from the amyloid clearing drugs. They don't make people better. They don't even keep you where you are. At the best, they slow the decline in people with Alzheimer's a little bit. Uh, The best yet is they slowed it by about one third. So that is not what we're looking for. We're looking for people to actually get better and most importantly, stay better. That's the key. Yeah. This is becoming quite trendy for all kinds of brain uh, health and mood disorders, and and a, a lot of attention and research is being brought to psychedelics, specifically yes. psilocybin, MDMA. Uh, I know that our government here in America said it will be decriminalized and and legalized for therapy type setting. Where does that fit in as a potential improvement for something like Alzheimer's because it does create neurogenesis? Yeah. So this is a great point. So many of these things, it's knowing when to use it and how to use Mm -hmm. it. And so for some people, that's going to be a wonderful experience. And yes, the idea, as you said, neurogenesis. And the other thing is neuroplasticity. So creating the ability for new experiences and, and basically new synapses. So I am intrigued to see over the next few years as the research comes out, because now, as you said, it's trendy, but there's not a lot of research. And so I do worry, you know, some people don't do so well on these things. And and what about people who are frail, who are older? So you have to be careful. But where I'm hoping that it's going to prove to be very effective is once we get rid of all the things that are actually driving the decline, we find out what infections you have, what is your hormonal status, what is your gut status, let's fix all those things. And now we've gotten rid of what's driving the decline. Now we want to improve the synapses that are left. You've lost some synapses, okay, with all these drivers. How do we get those back? And it's going to be stem cells, and it's going to be Mm. intranasal trophic factors, and it's going to be BHRT and things like this that help you to reestablish those synapses. My hope is that some of these 
psychedelics are going to be helpful. Things like, is it going to be, you know, is it going to be a ketamine experience? Is it going to be low-dose psilocybin? You know, we'll see, but I'm intrigued by this because they may, in fact, help you to bring back some of those synapses. So again, you've got to observe and you've got to be... uh, you've got to be adhering to the biochemistry. This is not magic. This is synaptic biochemistry. And there are things that can be harmful. Uh, You know, too much, too much exercise, too much stress. These can be harmful. One of the common things we have is people have just been under massive stress and they think they're doing it for all the right reasons. You know, they're winning a court case, whatever, but they are damaging their brains over this time. So as you said, it's it's this this mismatch. You know, it's an evolutionary mismatch. You're missing this. You should be living in a way that we were evolutionarily designed to live, not in something where you're going outside that because that's breaking things down. So again, using them in the right ways could be very exciting. I think what I really want to highlight, and I so a thousand percent agree with you on this, is that we are always looking for the magic pill. And when yeah. it comes from what I understand from dementia and Alzheimer, there, it, there's, the magic pill doesn't even exist. Mm-hmm. So you're only left with lifestyle as your opportunity to start to change things. Is, it, do you, is, is that what I hear you say? Because I don't want people to lose sight of how yeah. it's going to take work if you want yes. your brain to continue to work for you. And to be fair, this goes far beyond lifestyle, but you're right. It starts with lifestyle. So those seven things I mentioned, but then you want to find out, okay, if I've got an ongoing infection with Bartonella, that's a common one, or Babesia. Mm -hmm. And again, here's another example. Woman who was APOE 4-4 had done great. She went from 35th percentile to the 98th percentile. Actually, she she, uh, was one of the co-authors on my second book. She'd done a great job. She then started having some backsliding. And it was like, well, wait a minute, you know, what's going on here? Um, and she ended up having Babesia. And, and these mm-hmm. chronic infections, you have to look carefully for them. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. doctors aren't doing that. So it is, it starts with lifestyle and diet, exercise, sleep, stress, those sorts of things. But then it looks at specifics for what's actually driving the problem. And again, you, you know, we talked earlier about sleep apnea. That's another common mm-hmm. one that's picked up. And another common one is just massive stress. As long as your yeah. amygdala is sitting there saying, you know, I'm under stress, I'm under threat, it is not going to go back to that uh, open. You're, you literally have two modes where your neuroplastic part of your brain functions. One is the mode of things are good. I, there's not too much inflammation. I've got enough hormones. I got enough nutrients. I'm not under stress. I'm going to build and maintain. I'm going to get new memories. I'm going to do all that. The other mode you switch into is I am under assault. I got to pull back. I'm going to start making things smaller. I'm going to live in a smaller brain so that mm-hmm. I can put my resources into fighting the insults. As yeah. long as you're stuck on that side, you're not going to be improving. Yeah. Yeah. And and in that vein, one thing that I don't feel like is being highlighted enough as an, an important physical and mental health tool is human connection and oh, the power yeah. of people coming together in community. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because like if we look at the longest study ever done on happiness, it shows that when you've had good positive relationships over a long period of time, that is one of the greatest tools you can use for your overall happiness. 
Do we have the same thing with Alzheimer's and dementia? Does it matter how we connect with others? So again, it's you know not just my opinion. It's been published by excellent epidemiologists, people who had social networks, people who are interacting. Um, these people did better. They were at lower yeah. risk. Now, again, it's not a cure by itself, but it definitely helps. And of course, you are stimulating new connections. You have to remember, go back to this is a network insufficiency. You've got this amazing network within your brain that is able to take experiences and build and maintain new, uh, new mm -hmm. uh, interactions, new synapses, new connections, uh, or activate ones that are there. So when you are not feeding that, when you're demanding too much, too many insults, uh, or when you are simply in a, in a sedentary lifestyle. And by the way, depression is another part of this. This mm. is something that, of course, increased with COVID-19, another yeah. unfortunate consequence of COVID-19. Uh, this is, you know, pulling you back. This is, this is associated with more inflammation, with more, uh, cognitive problems. And I would add another thing, because this has come up recently with some of the, some of the patients. Uh, it was noted that a, a lot of these people will note that they have something that's very much like adult ADD. They mm. just don't, they don't attend to things. They don't focus the way they did before. Mm. And therefore, they're not setting up memory storage the way it should be set up. So it's important when someone's having memory issues to determine, is this more about the maintenance of the memory? Is this more about the consolidation after they've learned something, they're remembering it the next day? Or is this more like ADD? They're just all over here and they're, they do this for one minute and that for one, and they can't really attend to anything uh, because there are different ways to approach each of these. How how much does this this play a part, the phone and social media? Yeah. I, I mean, I can tell you, I will not touch TikTok because my brain gets so like it can't it can't come back from TikTok. Yeah, yeah. So I have to be careful how much I allow those short bursts of information coming yeah. into my brain. They will rewire it in the wrong ways. Yeah. So do we need to be aware of things that that can damage our brain on our phone? Yeah. I mean, there's no question. I mean, you probably saw just last week uh, a report came out saying, you know, social media can be a problem. Uh, so there are lots of positives about social media, but there are also some negatives. So you have to be careful. And yes, things that are flipping you here, then there, then there. It's, you know, it gets harder and harder for people to read a book, for example. Take some time. Mm -hmm. Focus on things. You, you know, you don't have to do it all day. Take some right. time. Uh, so again, these there are positives and negatives, and you want to be able to use these in the right way at the right time. Find something that you love and focus on that, whatever that Amazing. happens to be. Uh, and that's another thing that we find with the patients. Unearthing what it is that, you know, one of the, the, the most common thing I hear as they start to get better is that the spouse will say, they're so much more engaged. You know, they were kind of not part of the conversation or like looking to, 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 to him or her for answers. Uh, and now they're like, they're back. They're, you know, they're engaged again. That. And that's that. so important. So get engaged, get involved, uh, and, and get that point where you can now be part of, of what's going on. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, let me finish up on this. So this, we ask every season, I have a different theme and this okay. year or this season was self-love. Yeah. And in that I have asked all my guests, do you have a self-love practice that you do every day? And what do you think your superpower is that you bring to the world? Because part of self-love for me is owning what you're really good at. 
So what do you think your superpower is and do you have a self-love practice? It's a great point. You know, I don't have a super, uh, I, I don't have a self-love practice. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's great that you mentioned that. I, I think it's a, it's a good thing. It's something that, um, I, that I need to learn. It's a great point. Um, so, you know, my, to, to me, you know, my superpower is, and they used to make fun of it, fun of me in college for this, is seeing things that are, that other people don't see as similar, seeing them mm. as being similar. And that's how we did. Mm. That's how I, we originally saw and my laboratory colleagues and I originally saw that Alzheimer's disease is fundamentally a network insufficiency driven by those two things. It's how we developed the first protocol that actually reversed cognitive decline. And so, Amazing. you know, my goal is and actually I was just uh, down in Southern California last week. Uh, I'm working with Dr. David Merrill. We are hoping to set up the first program in the world that will allow people to have hope with all sorts of neurodegenerative illnesses. As you know, Amazing. if you have it today, there's nothing you can do. ALS, frontotemporal dementia, you know, there's no hope. These are all terminal illnesses. So taking precision medicine protocols, looking at all the things that are driving this. Um, so, so my superpower Amazing. is just that, that I'm interested in this stuff. I, I, right. you know, I think about this all the time. I, it keeps me up at night and it's yep. so exciting to see people actually get better from what I was taught is a terminal illness because, you yeah. know, the world is going to be better when we have less dementia in it. Yeah. Uh, well, we're grateful for all your work and for writing books and sharing it with the world. Talk Thanks. about where people can find you and specifically the, you call, what did you call it? A cognosc, a cognoscopy? Cognoscopy. So I'm just saying, we all know that we get a colonoscopy when we turn 50. Yeah. If you're 40 or over, please get a cognoscopy because understanding where you stand is so helpful. It's relatively easy to do. Get some blood tests that unfortunately most of your doctors are not doing. You get some simple online cognitive screening. Um, and then if you're already having symptoms, you want to include an MRI with volumetrics, but it's easy to do. Go to mycognoscopy.com. Um, you can also, so you can see me on Facebook, uh, uh, Dr. Dale Bredesen, um, uh, on Twitter, on, on Instagram, all the usual sites. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that's probably the easiest way. Um, and as you mentioned, a couple of books out, The End of Alzheimer's, for example. Uh, and it's available in 33 languages. So whatever you Amazing. like, um, you can get it. Yeah. So grateful for you. Thank you. And we will send everybody your way. So we're super thankful for all the work you're doing in the world. We really need more voices like yours. So thank you. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. It's fantastic. Thanks for helping so many people. Oh, my pleasure. Right. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me in today's episode. I love bringing thoughtful discussions about all things health to you. If you enjoyed it, we'd love to know about it. So please leave us a review, share it with your friends, and let me know what your biggest takeaway is.